Good evening and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser this evening. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to be recording the first episode of 2021 and I'm going to kick it off with um, a bit of a mailbag uh, episode Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about how the games have been going, what we've been uh, doing in the new year and what is coming soon. Um, So yeah, uh, let's get to the show. All right, so the questions that I got from uh, the mailbag uh, this week, all, a lot of them relate to um, ru- like preparing or, and running uh, online games, uh, particularly with respect to uh, player uh, engagement and player um, the way players will be interfacing with the game. And um, it's, it's good, I mean, especially with uh, the fucking ongoing uh, pandemic um, and uh, everyone, a lot of people transitioning their games to, uh, to online play only um it's it's uh, some good stuff uh you know good questions that are in there so um one of them is keeping player engagement uh the question was how do you keep players engaged because so they're not looking at uh you know uh, screen or you know um internet browsers or whatever else too you know like the um or their phones like there there's going to be i guess it depends on the type of game you're you're intending on running um one of the things that I think is a byproduct of streaming our games, and this is not true for all the players necessarily that ever play my games, but one of the things that uh, provides, I think, an incentive is because we're streaming our games, there's always, um, I I like to think that there's a bit of a cognizance that uh, people are paying attention, Um, but to be honest, I mean, that that may play a little role in our, uh, in the reason that the players want to make sure they're paying attention and not, you know, fucking around and not ready for when their turn comes. I think the real reason that people are are paying attention and whatnot is because it's great players. It's an expectation at the, at the table that people will be ready to uh, take their turn when it is their turn, and that they will not waste everyone else's time um, making them wait. And I mean, there are uh, so uh, I think that one of the things this is going to apply to much of the stuff we discuss here, where it's it's player expectations. You know, um, session zero, uh, in, in the sense of like having a, a session to talk about what you want to be doing with a campaign or with a you know a group of players with a given game, the given campaign. Um, in the course of planning, the thing I have come to recognize is how important communicating expectations are to players. Um, that's and not not only what your expectations are of them, but also what they can expect of you, and making sure that you meet those expectations. Um, the specific example I'm thinking of is like in, in our, uh, online play, uh, sometimes we have some people who struggle with it, but for the most part, um, everybody knows that we don't want to waste time. I'm a very impatient DM. So when people are, don't know what they're doing with their turn or, you know, they need to look up a spell and don't know the particulars of it, you know, um, that annoys me. And I think that it also annoys some of the other players so the expectation at our table is when your turn comes, you're ready to go, you know, and everybody knows, okay, we're all doing this so that the play experience is better for everybody. So everyone does that. Everyone stays on top of it. Uh, and even when we've got a big group, we're able to get through things in a relatively reasonable amount of time. People are able to, to you know, blow through their turns, have exciting shit happen to them and then pass the spotlight off to the next person who gets to go. If you don't communicate that stuff, um, or if you think that there is a problem with the people. Now, one of the things that is difficult um, is whether you are playing with friends or whether you're playing with, um, you know, people who came together and became friends by playing together, you know, gaming friends versus regular friends. And those can overlap. Those are not coterminous. But, you know, one of the things that I found um, having transitioned, I spent most of my life playing with just my friends, and then when I started streaming, I transitioned more to playing with uh, with uh, people who wanted to play the game, and then I have become friends with uh, with all of them. That is, um, you know, I, I think that it's easier to to sort of lay down the law or just to decide when things aren't working. You know, if you've got um, someone you're playing with, and they're for whatever reason, whatever it is about your uh, the, the play experience is just not jiving with what they want out of that time at the table, uh, then, you know, they, 
they they may leave um, or you may have to have a word and say like look this is just this is the the challenges we're having with you know uh, in particular if, if players are taking too long at the table if players are taking too long with their turns and that's something that the overall the whole group values it's a challenge then you you need to you know have a word with uh, your player and say look this is you know the expectation from all of us is that you will be uh, we all are ready, you know, uh, to go on our turns, and we're gonna, just going to dive into it. And when, you know, this is my pet peeve, but like when, um, when other people waste my time, I, I just, it's, I mean, it's such an arrogant way of thinking of it because it's not my fucking time. Like I waste people's times sometimes as well too. But the, I, I find it really, it what it communicates to me is if you are routinely not you know, uh, not ready to go the way everyone else is, you're, you're whatever, you're wasting everyone else's time. That is something that really, really annoys me. Um, once or twice and whatnot is fine, but like a regular thing, it just, it is very, very annoying because, you know, time is the commodity that you're spending at those tables. And if they are wasting uh, your time uh, for myself, it's hard to, to not uh, find that really irritating. So that's why we keep things going and you know and if someone is um is kind of uh slowing things down on a uh you know uh, then i often will say you know we got to keep things moving guys you got to be ready just to keep things on on uh, topic and on on point and if that's the kind of table you want you just need to make sure that the players know that that's what we're here for when we're playing guys we're not wasting anybody's time you're not looking at screens and whatever else if they do want to do that if that's what they want to do then they may be wanting a different play experience than what you do uh, they may be wanting a more casual thing, the kind of beer and pretzels game that, uh, you know, that, uh, some, that a lot of folks enjoy. Uh, and that's, again, like, it's, not a wrong, it's not the wrong way to play by any means. It is just, it is not the same, it, it, you know, it's more importantly than it not being the same way that you seem to, that, that you know, you might want to be running your game um, with them not looking at their screens, not looking at their phones, not texting. Um it's also means that it is incongruent. It, it won't fit with that type of thing. So what you need to do is either adjust each other's accommodations. Maybe you set, you know, one hour breaks um, where everyone takes a break, stretches their legs, people can check their phones, fuck around with that stuff, and then get back to the game. Because, um, I mean, that, that absolutely would work. We take our, our uh, mid-session breaks always just to, you know, get. I always check my phone <laughs> when I'm doing that stuff. Uh, but, you know... Um, the most important thing about that, though, is just that whatever your expectation is, whatever your you want out of that, it's making sure that the players are going to uh, understand that's important, that importance, and, and agree to it. And if everyone's expectations are that that's what's going to happen, no one's checking their phones, no one's looking at you know websites, no one's checking their email, no one's browsing for shit while they're you know they, they should be paying attention, um, then you're good. You know, I mean, that doesn't guarantee that people are going to follow those rules, but at the very least, you set up what the rules and the expectations are. And then if you're upset, there is a constructive way to address that of, look, this is the thing we've agreed to. This is why we think this is important. If we need to revisit this, then let's do that. But otherwise we need you to, you know, uh, to, to comply with what we're all doing, which is don't read your phone. Don't, you know, whatever. So, uh, that is the answer to question one. Okay. So the next question is with respect to, uh, missing players or the attendance of players and uh, regular listeners may be aware that uh, the player base at my table often um, rotates we have different folks at the table each time uh, and that is uh, in our ongoing games in the in the one shots and the you know well even if you to be honest with the uh, if, if I happen to run a two-part uh, session that happens to uh, you know like a done in one adventure that takes two sessions to get through uh, we still sometimes don't have the same people table to table. And uh, to be honest, like when I was younger, I, I used to stress about that stuff and try and come up with explanations for why, you know, the, the other players would were missing. Um, I, I like ending my sessions on a, a cliffhanger or some kind of moment of tension if I can, because I want, uh, you know, it's, it's just I, I do that partly for um, uh, cinematic purposes in our streamed games because it's, it's more exciting for the viewers I, I think but I mean to be honest I did that when I play with just my buddies in, in our basement too so I mean like it's not it's not something that I'm doing specifically for that it's just it's a happy byproduct that I think ha helps but 
Um, the trouble is, is when you have a story-focused campaign or a story-focused game uh, that happens to rely on the actions or the things that are important to certain characters, what you can have is situations where you end with a cliffhanger that has story consequence for one of the player characters, and then you miss that player character's player next session. You're kind of like, oh, how am I going to handle this? And one of the ways I got around that was by running war story sessions. You know, that's, that's part of the reason I adopted those war stories. Um, I enjoy running them as a way to sort of highlight some side elements or other elements of the campaign uh, or the campaign world or the story going on in the campaign. But it's also a, a, for a matter of necessity if you want to continue playing the game and add to the overall, you know, accumulated time that you have with your players. Uh, it's a nice way to keep the, you know, to play different characters, but, you know, still keep uh, everyone invested in and keep the story, the momentum with your overall story going. Um, but uh, what I've come to realize is, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's, um, you know, I, I just don't care. Like, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. You know, if um, it depends on, I guess one of the things it depends on is what you are valuing in uh, in the game. Is it just getting to the play uh, or is it uh, continuity, like fidelity to the continuity of the, uh, of the story that's been building up? And what I find now is that, like, I, I don't even make an effort to try and explain why people are, are missing. I, ju- I just don't care. Like, it, it's uh, whatever game we're playing, if those people's players aren't here, then we just, you know, we just play with whoever's there. And the thing is, is as much as we like, like there are things we can borrow from TV and film and, you know, comics and um, literature or, or uh, you know, books and uh, and novels rather and uh, short stories, There, all of those things are not games. You know, none of them are actual games. Um, video games is the closest thing that you can, uh, you know, it, it probably has more commonalities with the RPG than what those things do. Even your most, uh, you know, story-focused kind of game. And the thing is, um, continuity matters in those things because it's, you know, it becomes the, with all those other things, not video games, but all those other things, it is the engagement with the the story, right? Like, it's it's the... It's getting pulled into the, the story, and then if you have discontinuities where characters suddenly go missing, a lot of times you're like, wait, hold on, that it's taking me out of the story. What? what? Um, but if you look at TV, you know, when TV has to deal with, um, you know, shooting around other, uh, you know, like uh, actors that are recurring characters rather than regulars, you know, where they're like, oh, shit, we only have this person for four episodes this season. Um, we were going to do this within this week, but we can't now. Shit, we got to work it around. You don't necessarily... I mean, in, in TV, they need to come up with some explanation for it, you know. Uh, but in, in an RPG, does it matter? Like, do you need to spend time or thought at all to, to worry about that? I mean, the answer is is, is yes, if, that's, if continuity matters to, to your campaign. And, and sometimes you want to have those seams you know, uh, uh, tied up. But... Um, what I've come, and I haven't tried to do this with a story-focused game yet, but with, uh, like, a sandbox game or, like, a big group game, um, I don't know. You know, what my suggestion would be is just try just ignoring it. Play with whoever's there. Don't worry about why the person's absent because the way that RPGs differ is from those is story is really important. Regardless of whether you're playing you know, the most mercenary, you know, murder hobo D&D campaign, or you're playing an incredibly invested game of, like, masks or, power, you know, Apocalypse World or one of those, or cult, you know, um, it doesn't matter which of those things, like, what degree of direct control you have over the story and how important the emergent story is. At the end of the day, it's the play of the game is what you're there for. You're not there to stitch together you know, the episode, the, the episodes and the sessions and whatnot, that's great if, it, if you can do that, you know, and, but I mean, it's a game, get to the playing, you know, don't worry about the, uh, what, what the, the, you know, the explanation for why the person's there. I, I, at one point, um, even like expressly tried to incorporate a magical explanation for the blue haze thing where 
the character's gone and they're not there. And like when I was younger and I cared, I don't know why I cared about this. It's such a pedantic, stupid thing to, to worry about. And I, stupid is not, that's not a fair way of saying it. Cause if it's important to you, it's important to you, but I don't think it matters. I, don't, I think in the grand scheme of things, if you start ignoring it and just not paying attention to it, it won't matter to you. It'll matter less and less because all you care about is jumping in. And if you get to jump in with whoever's there and not worry about, well, why isn't so-and-so here? Or we left on this thing here and we left on whatever else. I, I think that you will find that A, your players won't really care. You won't really care. You'll just want to jump in and play the game, which is what you're there for. Uh, B, the players may come up with inventive reasons for why they're absent. And I love like um, Jeff, who plays in our uh, regular fixture on the uh, YouTube channel, Jeff has um, a headcanon that when we don't see the players, or the players are, or the characters are off, you know, camera as it were, are off doing something else. In his mind, they're like they've split the party. You know, they're they're off scouting somewhere else. So that's the way he's chosen to reconcile it. But I mean, I don't really it doesn't really matter uh, to me. Um, and the C is that you will sometimes find happy coincidences, you know, or, or happy turns of events. Sometimes it's kind of like in, in certain games, it definitely is a bit of a pain in the ass. If you end on a cliffhanger and you got a group of, you know, seven players and you balance an encounter for that. Um, and then the next time you meet up, you've only got three players. Well, those three players are, if it's, you know, on the cusp of being a combat encounter, they may be in trouble. But what I find um, is I am much more inclined to say fuck it and run it uh, than I am to, uh, you know, to try and rebalance. Um, our threshold with our bigger games now is down to three, really. If we've got three players, we've got a quorum, we'll, we'll continue on with one of our ongoing games. Sometimes we'll, we'll swap it out. I mean, if, if there's something big and in particular where we want, you know, it, it would really benefit having a, the full party and we know that we're going to have a full party the next time, then we'll run something you know, a pickup game or, or something else. But um, I think that the that is one of those those really happy things is uh, an encounter that they may have thought, oh, we got this. We're going to make this so-and-so pay. And they suddenly find themselves with three. They're like, shit, you know, and they're way down from where they were before. That's awesome. That's exciting. And that's, and that's part of, um, you know, I mean, it just becomes part of the fun of playing the game is they've bitten off more than they can chew. And... Um, you know, like that approach obviously is not going to be right for every table. Uh, there are some people who just will not do that. You know, like they they don't have the full amount of. It, honestly, it's gonna it, it will be a matter of deciding for um, for yourself whether it's the right table, whether it's or sorry right for your table. And you know, there are groups that want to have everybody there. They want everyone to share in it, and that and that's um, that's fine. You know, I mean, like that's that's great if you can manage that. That is terrific. Um, you know, we, we used to do that when we were, uh, and I don't mean this in, I mean, when we were younger, we would do that because we all lived in the same city and we didn't have anything, you know, like our, our list of responsibilities were minuscule, if, if anything. So it was easy to just, I'll get everyone together. But like, as you get older, as you, you know, your life, uh, starts, um, requiring more of you in your, in your day hours. Um, and those will not necessarily coincide with the, um, you know, the, the dates you set for your game. Um, it's, you know, you, you, you end up often finding yourself down players. Uh, you know, I've talked before on the channel that one of the ways I have tried to build around that is with set dates, you know, the set days we play and times we play, uh, the players know they show up at that time we're playing. So if we're doing, what do you call it? If we're doing, um, you know, uh, well, if, like for, for my group, um, they know uh, Wednesday nights, Friday nights, Saturday mornings, Sunday afternoons, uh, we're playing. You know, we got something. And if they're not able to make it, then that's fine. But, you know, um, more people, especially in the quarantine, good Lord. Lord knows what's going to happen once the quarantine lifts. But, I mean, we had a incredibly regular, incre- an incredibly regular group well before the, the uh, current crisis anyway. So, you know... Um, I guess so it's it's a twofold answer I'm given here. One of them is um, maybe like structure your campaign or structure the expectations to just cast aside the concerns for continuity. You know, don't worry about trying to make sense of, of player absences because sometimes it just happens, you know, and the the less than perfect seem 
between your previous session and your current session uh, is going to be, I think, a lot better than not playing because you don't have the right person. You know, time just uh, slips. This is so uh, existential crisis ridden, but um, the, you know, like time just flies. And it, if you only get a chance to try and get together once a month and you have to cancel that, that one month game because, you know, you, uh, uh, you're down one player or two players, you know, and you still have three players who are able to make it, uh, I, man, I'd be loath to give up that time and not do something. I mean, the war stories are one way to get around that, but the question is, is about absences from players, and I'm assuming it's about ongoing campaigns. So um, that's the one way is to just ignore that. The second thing is, is to try, this is sort of pro- uh, proactively trying to address this issue, which is make it easy for the players to fit them into a regular calendar. You know, if they know every whatever uh, Friday of the month or every second Friday or whenever you schedule your game for, that be the night for your game. Not everyone's schedule will permit that, but I mean, if you're able to do that, you're doing your care, your players a service here by saying, this is the day we play, and if we don't play this, we'll play something else. You know, and that just gets into, that becomes game night. And I, again, well before I was streaming, this is how I would uh, manage the... Um, the scheduling as well too, and that uh, that helped mit- minimize the uh, player absences because the players were able to build around it. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Now that I think of it, our eight, so our AD&D fourth game, one of our ones, we had three players in it. We we're playing multiple characters in it, um, and we um, well, what the players did. Uh, we had one player, two players who would regularly make the, they, you know, the set dates. They had no difficulty making them. The other guy had a, just a disaster of a schedule, so he had a hell of a time trying to commit to things. So I think we actually when we started just ignoring player absences and just said they're watching the horses is uh, is with that. So actually, it's it's well before a recent thing. I've clearly been working towards this for a while. So uh, so anyway, that that's uh, my two cents on um, how to handle player absences and. Uh, maybe how to structure your schedule for gaming to try and make it easier for them to make it uh, more sessions. All right, next up is a another uh, bugbear of the gaming table. That is metagaming. Uh, so the, the um, mailbag asks about uh, how to handle metagaming. So um, now this is... You know, there's so much ink that's been spilled over metagaming and what's good metagaming and bad metagaming. I'm going to try and just kind of summarize the my uh, perspective on, on what I see the difference between the two. So, because, I mean, metagaming, good metagaming is kind of required. You know, like, what what metagaming kind of is, at least my what I understand the meaning to be, is that you are trying to get beyond the actual rules of the game and work the actual flow of the game, the, the overall, you know, um, the overall way that the game is proceeding. And good, you know, the, the rules and the rules, the, uh, the, the manners that are required for being a good player um, require a certain degree of metagaming, you know, like not hogging the spotlight is kind of, is metagaming, you know, um, not, uh, I don't know, like stepping on other characters, you know, role-playing things or things they care about, other players' things, um, that's, you know, um, that's also something that's just part of it, and, you know, the approach to creating characters to allow for fun, you know, inter-party, uh, tension, you can have inter-party tension in the game in a really fun way um, without, you know, making problems for, for all the players, uh, for other players at the table. You know, you, there's a, a good and fun way to do that. So, you know, and that's also metagaming. That's, that's, that's going, thinking beyond the thing. So that stuff's all, all um, a necessary part. Um, if you make use of a narrative metacurrency in a game, that's metagaming as well because you are thinking you've got a, a resource that you can uh, draw on, whether it's Astonishing Fortune or Action Points or, you know, whatever you call it in your game, Benny's. They are uh, there for, you know, for you as the player, for the players to actually affect the flow of the of the game. And part of the decision of when they're spending those relates to where they think, like what the challenges are they're facing in future, um, whether, you know, like this is, if they're in a boss fight, 
you know, whether, whether they're going to be able to assume that, all right, well, you know, the DM has structured this. This is the dragon that for fighting a whole bunch of other stuff. So this has got to be the final fight, right? Like we're not going to and then be hit with another group of goblins. So let's blow all of our stuff. That's all metagaming. You know, that's that's making a, a level play, but it's necessary. And that's the point of having those um, those resources is to do that. Um, some, you know, some players... Um, I've had, well, I've, I should say some players. I've had one player who has felt like, oh, it was was a little nervous about doing that because they felt it was too metagamey. But yeah, it's it's that's a necessary part of it. You know, is uh, uh, in my game, in both of my AD and D games, we we use um, astonishing meta. Or actually, in all three of my old school games, astonishing swordsman and sorcerers of Hyperborea, and my two AD and D games, we use astonishing fortune. And the way we use it, partly, is to avoid death, to avoid character death. So. Um, if they're in the middle of a big fight and they know that someone's getting really beaten up and doesn't, it looks unlikely to be able to, uh, you know, to, to pull themselves out, they may want to save a point of astonishing fortune just to save that character's bacon at the, at the end. And I'm totally fine with that because, and I'll tell you why is because again, it's a game. So I like that that decision is a consequential and, um, drama engaging game decision. When players are facing other stuff, like if they're facing a difficult adversary who has already taken down one ally, it means that every dice roll, they can't spend it to re-roll, which is the other thing in, in my games, what you can use Astonishing Fortune for. It means that they can't um, spend it to do other stuff, you know, like to if they miss an, an attack roll, they can't re-roll it. it uh, they need to be careful of, of them going down because, God, we've already got one person down. We've only got one point of Astonishing Fortune left. So, oh, boy. Um, but, um, that, and, and that does, I think it adds stakes to the, uh, uh, to the, the proceedings beyond what I'm adding to the narrative. And I think, to be honest, like if I've, if I've timed my, my play correctly, then it, it definitely adds to the stakes as well. Like it plays in concert there the game, it's ludo narrative symmetry or a harmony where the game mechanics, holy shit, this is important. This get out of jail free you know, button or card that you've got, there's only one of them left and already one person kind of has spoken for it. Uh, so you need to be careful and, and whatnot with, uh, with how you play that is in sim in, in uh, symmetry with the boss fight, you know, that's going on in the story where this is a big epic encounter that's supposed to have drama and, you know, stakes to it and whatever else. So it's great stuff. I mean, it's, it's really, it, uh, the combination of the, of the those two, factors uh, working together is uh, is terrific um where you get into bad uh metagaming uh that is where players are just trying to they are either the, the worst example i've seen of it re, um in uh at my table that i can think of is i had one player um who and i don't know what the fuck they were thinking this is we were playing online and the two of them happened to be playing in the same room uh, together, and what one of them had, oh, at the time we the whole party had come across a quicksand, uh, and one of them sank right down to the bottom. But he had a sword in one hand and a shield in the other, and he didn't want to. I don't know what he was thinking. He was just refused to get rid of the sword, and he's trying to swim his way out. And the other guy, his character was out of the quicksand. So what his what he said, the two of them you know, whispering to each other. Uh, and then when it came to their turn, what they did is they delayed. And then one of them uh, reached down and grabbed the tip of the sword. And then the other one said that he simultaneously let go of the sword. And he was completely below the surface of the quicksand. Couldn't see anything. There's no way that they would have, con- you know, set up a contingent plan for this of like, if I ever find myself in a situation where I am underground and underwater or under the quicksand, and I can't see stuff. Uh, and I hold up the tip of my sword. I don't want you to grab it to try and help me out. I want you to grab it and take the sword because it's you know it's my ancestral sword and whatever else. So I I, I can't. I made them. I allowed them to make a roll. I first I chastised them for. It. I'm so like that's absolute fucking bullshit. There's no way your characters would have known that. And I don't like telling people how to play their characters, but and that, that's the aspect of metagaming. Metagaming is when they're not playing their characters. They're playing their players. They're playing them as pawns, and that to me. That's one of those sacrosanct um, elements. If you're just trying to get advantage over the, the, the scenario by 
taking that God's eye view and abusing it, that's where it's just like, come on. Like, we're playing... This is where the game element uh, comes in. Like, if we're just going to be able to make up whatever we want and break the reality that we're all sort of building here together, then that's just... That's... It's not fair because it's, it's affecting all of us. And... Um, Maybe that's a little thin skin, but I, that's, I think, the reason people get pissed off about, at least for me and, and the people we played with, because everyone else in the group was equally like, fuck off, you're not doing that. Um, the consequence of it, I let them, I didn't just, you know, hammer with them. I said, all right, well, this is the chances of this happening. I said, a, a high DC, let the person roll for it. They blew it, dropped his ancestral sword in the quicksand, lost it. So... You know, that's the such as the consequences. And then we just moved on. And then the players never went back to that. And both of those players, it was really an outlier for them. I, I think that, I don't know what they were thinking. I think they were just, you know, maybe they're overtired or not paying attention. But both of them afterwards said, yeah, like, I, I don't know what we were thinking. And I mean, um, if people are regularly doing that, then it's, you know, they are wanting to get something out of the game experience. Well, I mean, if, if, if people who are regularly doing that they're using player knowledge to advance the and and work around challenges that are presented by the game rather than playing through them in the game that's if that's what you don't want and you don't want people doing that then you really 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 need to address it and very quickly and very firmly because it will it i mean i think it 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 will piss everyone else's experience off at the table um, or not piss off, but I mean, it'll affect everyone else's experience. It, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's a tough thing to, to say if someone is regularly indulging in that and it is affecting your game to the, to the detriment, to the bad kind of metagaming where they're again, using player knowledge to try and get advantage over the challenges that their character is facing you, I think you need to have a conversation with the person about whether they're right for the table. You know, because it's just... Um, it can be a frustrating and toxic element. I mean, even among the most... Um, the most fair-minded other players, at some point, I mean, everyone will have a breaking point of like, come on! You know, and what you don't want is to affect the experience of the whole party because of... or the whole group because of one player's um, insistence. Now, I may be, you know, other, other groups and, and uh, the tables that you run at home, uh, dear listeners, you may uh, not find that uh, metagaming is as big a, a deal uh, at your tables. You know, you may not care, especially if you run kind of a Wahoo, you know, a loosey-goosey kind of game. But I mean, I think that part of the reason that, um, you know, that uh, it is important is because regardless of whatever kind of game you're you're playing all of us are coming here to play a game even if it's it's a one page indie game that's got loosey-goosey rules you're still trying to bind your experience by a certain set of understandable and exploitable mechanics you know and those may be like i said i mean as, as complicated as you know the whatever like 500 pages or 600 pages that the pf2 books are or you know role master with his tables and blah 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 or as simple as some of these again like one page indie games where you got everything you need to do and, and it's, it's a matter of rolling on a couple of tables and then rolling on a couple of d6s um whatever those games are we're agreeing to be bound by those rules and when you are fundamentally breaking one of those core tenets which is immersion and experiencing through the game rather than above it um, in the, you know, because you are getting above it in certain described ways, particularly if you use narrative metacurrency or if your game encourages that through moves and stuff like that, like some of the story games. Um, but even those are defined by rules, like what you can and cannot do with them is set by rules. So, yeah, so that's the, the problem with the meta narrative is that at the end of the day, we're all looking to play and go through an experience with it. So if you're just not doing that, if they're just not willing to do that, I guess for one, it's probably not the only problem that they have as a player. So you, you may need to have a word with them about other things. But if someone is, is routinely engaging in that and it is, uh, you know, it is affecting the rest of the party, um, you need to, depending on, on the nature of your group, whether you give them a chance or not, I think that you bring it to their attention. And for myself, if I had, I, I, 
because I, I, you know, know and trust and have played with mo all the people that, I mean, most of the people I play with now for, for years, I trust that they're not going to do that. Or if they do, it's an outlier. Like, you know, my buddy, uh, Brent, my buddy Dave and the, <laughs> the fucking sword in the quicksand. Um, it is just a, you know, brain fart on their part. Um, but if you find that it's, it's, um, it isn't that, and it is a regular problem, then I think you need to consider, um, yeah, uh, eliminating them from the group. And, uh, that's not great. I mean, I, I, I don't think anybody likes excluding anyone as an adult. I think that uh, as gamers, we've all felt uh, an element of exclusion at some point, particularly older gamers, when uh, D&D was not nearly as uh, accepted as it is now. But I mean, anyone as an as a adult human being uh, understands the uh, pain of, of exclusion. And, and I don't, you know, I don't like leaving anyone away from the table. But if, the, if it's metagaming more so than almost anything else, even like more so than wasting time, I think can have a long-term negative effect on the game. So you really do need to think of the betterment of the, uh, like what's best for the whole group. So anyway, that's a pretty down topic. Let's see if we can get something a little more upbeat in the next one. Okay, next two topics are not really related, but I'm going to bundle them together anyway uh, because I, I probably could have, should have bundled one of the other ones uh, in with one of these topics. So the two topics are uh, lateness, player lateness, and uh, or late arrivals, I should say, not lateness. So de- independent of people who waste your time, like late arrivals. And the second is um, role-playing. And I mean, for both of these two things, uh, player lateness, this will, it will depend on, I think, the, uh, the reasons for lateness, and it'll depend on... Um, the ability for you to incorporate late arrivals into your game. For me, late arrivals are way more manageable uh, than early departures. Early departures are really, really hard to deal with because, uh, for one, um, I find that a lot more challenging uh, to deal with. You know, when um, uh, when you suddenly find a, a player is not there anymore. Sometimes it happens, and I've actually had one time. I, uh, in a one shot, one of my birthday one shots where we had a great, uh, the, the other players didn't know that he had to leave early. Uh, so I killed his character. He knew was, we were going to do this, but we killed his character as kind of a stakes raiser. And he's like, and he's like, that's it. I'm going. And left. And we told him afterwards, like, oh no, no, <laughs> we always knew he was leaving. Um, but it was great. It was, um, uh, so, I mean, earlier that notwithstanding that one really fun way of incorporating it. It's, uh, I find early departures really hard to deal with. And it also, it starts, you know, like it, it kind of starts uh, threading, pulling the thread out of the, you know, of the, of the, um, the groups kind of, um, I don't know, willingness to carry on. They start thinking like, well, you know, I'm going to get up early tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you start thinking about, um, whether you're going to, um, you know, um, whether we should just call it early because we have people leave. So for all those reasons, I really, really dislike uh, early departures. But late arrivals, you know, like we've got a couple people in our groups um, who saw just like uh, particularly one of our Friday players, one of my old, my oldest friend, uh, Brent, he just can't make it early. Uh, he's got young, two young daughters and um, he's a very involved dad and it just, he can't make it work. He, so he has to always join us halfway through uh, for those Friday sessions. And I don't care about that. Like, if he, if he joins late, that's totally fine. Uh, he is more than welcome all the time. And that's in our Night Below game. So the Night Below game is a uh, it's a sandbox thing. It's got a rotating cast already. So him jumping in late is never a bad thing. He always brings himself up to speed. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't cause problems. He, uh, you know, doesn't have, you know, spend the whole time, uh, you know, disrupting and or whatnot or trying to get himself up to speed. He just figures out what's going on and then jumps in and the other players have are really great about uh keeping him you know in the loop for uh you know for what um uh for what what's happening what they need to do and often if he gets in either just before our mid-session break or uh just after uh, or during it, it works out really well because we you know we've taken the break anyway we can take five minutes and just say like hey this is what's happened so far here's uh you know what happened in the wednesday session so you're back up to speed let's go and uh but I mean, he does abide by all the other things we do, which is that he knows how to play his character, and he, uh, um, you know, he. Oh, I just realized I'm going the wrong way home. Shit, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to where I used to live, not where I live currently. <laughs> what the fuck? 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Well, on the plus side, folks, you're getting a little bit longer of an episode today because I just took the long way home. <laughs> so, um, anyway, it's, um, it's funny cause, um, uh, well, not funny, but I mean, it's it, so that I don't mind that. And in, uh, you know, like if in, in Brent's case, it, it is a matter of that he's only able to show up late. And the reason he's showing up late is for a damn good reason. It's not because he's just lazy and, you know, dragging his ass in because he, you know, didn't set an alarm clock or something like that. Like there's a really, there's a good reason why he can't join us right away. And more often than not, when um, other players, I, I shouldn't say more often than not, every time, unless we're running a one shot where there would be the, you know, there's that, that, um, expectation of sometimes chewed up getting the players to learn their character, learn the game, and then we get going, and then we really get that momentum going in a one-shot. When a player joins late to that kind of thing, it's it's a lot harder because it can affect that. You're, you're slowing the tempo down that you've been building in the game as players become more familiar, get more excited with the game, to then bring someone in at ground zero again. And there isn't that osmotic learning of the game that happens in a one-shot when someone's playing a new game for the first time where they're learning from other people's mistakes. They haven't, you know, uh, that that they've missed out on the benefit of that. So that's that's the only exception. Otherwise, I almost always say, yeah, absolutely, join late. And uh, we'll, we'll work it out. Uh, because I'd always rather uh, have them join late uh, than not join at all. Uh, I can always ratchet up the difficulty of uh, encounters, either that I have planned or that we're in the middle of fighting. Um, that is a lot harder to do when you're, you know, in the middle of a session and then you suddenly find yourself down a player. That that can sometimes be more challenging. It depends on the game you're you're running, I suppose. But in any event, uh, that is um, yes, my thought on on lateness. Now, the things that will affect your willingness to accommodate late players. Uh, I mean, the the ability, I guess, the complexity of the game for one. Um, the nature of the campaign you're running, you know, if it's a really, really, really story-heavy thing, um, even actually, you know, no, no, I was going to say, like, you know, if you're running like a mystery or something like that, it can be challenging to incorporate someone who's who's uh, showing up late. But I would probably still be okay with that as long as they knew the their character and they knew the system. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd probably let that because you know it's uh, it's someone walking in, you know, it's it's introducing a character in the second act. You know, you don't necessarily need to have that character there all the time, so it's perfectly fine to add them in. And also, you know, um, the in, in those kinds of games, whether it's an intrigue game or a mystery game, whatever it is that you're dealing with, if it's a more uh, role-play heavy thing, just describing as the player what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve, and the challenges that you're that are standing in the way of you achieving that, sometimes describing that stuff and talking it through is helpful for seeing it in new light, you know, like, oh, you know what, I just thought of something, and by virtue of just, like, summarizing what's been going on, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I I would definitely allow that as well, um, and if you need to come up with a story, you know, uh, explanation for it, if, if you know ahead of time that a player is going to be joining a session late, uh, then, you know, you, uh, um, you know, then you, you can just plan accordingly uh, and say, like, this is what's going to be happening. And often what I'll do is uh, I, I will not require a late arrival to have knowledge of what's been going on in the adventure uh, because it's just not, it's just asking too much of the of the player who's getting in late and is trying to kind of, you know, pick up their speed and, and, and get, um, you know, match the pace of where everyone else is in the game. Uh, you don't need to slow them down by burdening them with also know this and also you know this and also you know this. Make their character be in the same position as what the player is if you can. Make them be unaware of, uh, of you know, what's going on and let both the player and the character respond in the same way. What, what's happening? You know, uh, which is, I think, uh, fun. You know, the more often you can line those two things up, I think that uh, the more... Yeah, I don't know. The the more fun it can be for uh, for uh, the players. Um, and then the other thing is uh, so role playing. Um, so role playing is one of those things that you know it's like seasoning food. You know, everyone knows what they like, but it doesn't mean that's what everyone else likes. Um, and I, you know, uh, I think that you can accommodate a wide variety 
of different types of role playing at the table. You know, um, one thing you know, one. Well, let me let first. I'll, I'll let me say, but just before I, I get into uh, that, but so one of the things I found really interesting with playing with the same group of players. Um, who have different experiences with different kinds of role-playing games and different uh, things that they get, you know, that they particularly enjoy out of the role-playing. It is always interesting seeing players be put in a different, like in a different game that requires them to play in a different way. You know, things that encourage more. Um, and and by, so maybe def- let's start with some nomenclature here. So by role-playing, I'm assuming what what you're asking about is or what the, the the mailbag was asking about was the um the player uh effectively performing their character consistent with what the described or expected personality would be so in, in a way that is is anticipated by the rest of the players so you know, um, that means like playing the character consistently to how they've been played before, uh, or just, you know, immersing yourself in a personality or even just, I mean, I don't know, there's a pretty big spectrum that you go in there, but, um, but that's what I'm sort of understanding role-playing to, to mean. The thing that's interesting is seeing when certain games require more of that or engage more of the character's personality in a mechanical way. Uh, a lot of the more story type games as opposed to the traditional games do that. Um, you definitely do role playing, you know, when you're playing your D&D games as well too, you know, if you're playing a dwarf who happens to value combat and hates orcs and whatnot, that's role playing you know, and if you're taking actions that are consistent with that, then you are performing that character uh, for a way that um, that is consistent with the way that the expectations of the other players and if you're streaming the audience um, are expecting you know, and what you need to decide, I guess, is is how important is that stuff to you? The, 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 I, well, actually, before I get on, onto that, the the thing, like I said, that's fun when you're bringing players into different games is seeing how much some certain players who you may have expected to be more when when you see characters who you would think would be more into the role playing end up leaning into the crunch in heavy games, and characters you expect to be leaning into the crunch are just you know role playing their butts off and just enjoying occupying that fictional world with, you know, in the skin of this, uh, of this character and doing what they think is the character would do as opposed to what is the optimal or, or whatever, you know, play for them optimal as it were, as if you got like a way of winning or losing, you know, role-playing games. Um, but anyway, the, um, yeah, the thing that, that I find, uh, with, with role-playing is it, it's a matter of finding out what's, what's the bandwidth that you want to allow for for role playing because you know like anything uh, there is it's a matter of seasoning to the to the palate and you want to try and find something that will um, that will not be off putting to the rest of to what to what the group is uh, is looking for um, and they may be looking for I mean. You know, the part of the role of the DM is, and what where we substantially differ from a player's role is that players looking for engagement and and looking to have fun with playing their character, but also playing with other people. Um, the DM is of course looking to entertain and facilitate that, um, regardless of again like whatever whether you're playing an old school game, whether you're playing a story game or whatnot. That's what that role is. If there's somebody who is not a player who is directing the action in some, you know, big or small way, that's what your, that's what your hat is, that's what your job is. And in that sense, you are performing as the character of the DM. And and sometimes that will be, you know, consistent with your natural personality. Like for myself, I I don't tend to be very different as a DM than I am. And I'm a less bossy in in my regular life, but, you know, I mean, I, I tend to the way I interact with everybody and, and the way I keep people on task, I'm a little more referee-ish uh, than I am in my in my normal life, but otherwise it's just me being me. I also, I mean, I don't make as many stupid voices in uh, in my real life <laughs> as I do when I'm DMing, but that's because, I mean, I, I do that because the people I play with, at least, enjoy that. I mean, they, you know, it helps them get immersed with the, the world and it helps me 
sell that, you know, that, that performance as an NPC or whatnot. So, um, if you're playing in a group that is not like that, that doesn't like that kind of performance or that, those kind of theatrics and is looking for more of a, just, uh, you know, um, uh, more of a third party, uh, you know, I, I would describe it as like the three quarter perspective on your, on your game. Like, you know, um, Diablo, uh, the, uh, dungeon crawler loot, you know, loot game, uh, from Blizzard is it plays, it is a very different play experience from, uh, World of Warcraft in many different ways. But one of the subtle ways that they do that is, uh, the, the positioning of the camera. When you are playing World of Warcraft, your camera is right behind your character and you are, that's your avatar. You are right behind your avatar. You're looking over their shoulder the whole time. That is how you view the, and experience that whole world. You can shift the perspectives, you know, around that avatar, but that's the way you're going. Diablo, you're seeing it from a God's eye view. It's a three-quarter perspective. So they're, you're not seeing it the way that, uh, like the over-the-shoulder thing is not quite the way that, um, you know, uh, the way that we experience the world. Because uh, we're not following dwarves and elves and tauren and whatever around, um, but it's the the perspective, the the visual we have is what is something we're familiar with. Ground, you know, looking up, looking down. That's that's the way that we we view the world in that game, which makes it easier to embody that that um, you know or invest in and get lost in the in the fiction in the in the power fantasy in. Uh, Diablo, though, you're in a God's eye mode. You know, you're always in a three-quarter perspective, and you don't... You're over that world, which is a way that we never see the world, or very, very rarely. Uh, so if you are playing a game, you know, an RPG, in a, like, three-quarter perspective where you are less engaged in the game, um, then role-playing might be, you know, I mean... It might be permitted, it might be whatever, but it's not the thing that they're... You're playing a three-quarter RPG experience. Uh, you're looking for just the much more of what the game is as opposed to the immersion and the role-playing stuff. Inhabiting the body of my, you know, uh, Crusader or Barbarian when I'm playing Diablo, um, that's not really... I'm, I'm, I'm less invested in playing and, and occupying the world of that character and more interested in what loot I get, what skills I get, shit like that. So, you know, um, if that's the kind of game that you're playing, then it, having a lot of role-playing is probably not going to help and, and may actually hinder the play because that's not what they're, you know, that's not what that game is about, or at least that, that uh, play experience. And both of those types of play are completely valid as D&D experiences. The, um, you know, looter-shooter style of play in, in a three-quarter perspective game like Diablo, you can absolutely have that experience in, in uh, you know, um, in a D&D game. I mean, a lot of the... My buddy Jason Hobbs, his um, uh, Kalmata game is a West Marches game, so there's not a lot of... There is, like, a story or whatnot that you're uncovering as you go through it, but it's not about role-playing with the characters and role-playing with other PCs and whatnot because it's a different group each time. It's about going out there, facing danger, trying to get loot and trying to get back without dying, you know? And um, that, if that's the kind of game you're, you're running, Hobbs does a lot more role-playing in it than, than I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it seem as if uh, it's not a role-playing and, and there's, that it's just a tactical, you know, um, like a, a board game or whatever that's... Uh, stitched together with the D&D rules. That's absolutely not the case. But, I mean, it is certainly less involved than, say, like Critical Role. You know, uh, Critical Role is a very, very story-focused game with lots and lots of role-playing. And a lot of the payoff from that particular campaign, both of them, I guess, they run now, is from those players inhabiting the characters. And they care about that stuff. Like, that's, that's what makes that game special for them. What you need to do as a DM is figure out what's the bandwidth. You know, what, how, how far in either extreme does your group want? And do you want to engage in too? If you don't like... And I mean, the thing is, just because you, you know, either you don't, you can't or you don't want to do, like, say, stupid voices or things like that, that does not mean that you can't also run a very, uh, in, you know, a very um, 
immersive and, uh, you know, over the shoulder kind of, uh, experience. You don't, you know, those are my penchant for using silly voices, uh, is, you know, um, that is, is speaks more to what I like doing and I like getting out of the games than it does. Uh, and it just, it adds a little bit of flair, I suppose, to, uh, to the thing I'm trying to achieve. It, it is absolutely not necessary by any means. Um, you don't need to make any silly voices. Like Matt Colville, Matt Colville doesn't make voices and he, he says he changes the pitch in his tone. I don't really buy that. He just talks pompous in some cases and talks fast in others. So, I mean, but that's fine. You know, like that's the players will invest more in your world and your fiction. Um, if they want to role play, regardless of, of how skilled of a, you know, thespian you, you are or not. Um, so the only thing that's important is you just need to be able to offer that if that's what the players want out of it. And, you know, our Legacy of the Crystal Shard game that we run on the channel is a great example, I think, of a mix of different people. Some people want to be, uh, you know, really want to engage with and, and get, you know, invested in and, and uh, dust it up in, with some serious role-playing and thinking about their character and the things they value and the backstory. And I don't mean the backstory in, in a bad way. Like, backstory gets a lot of uh, shit in, in the... Or at least in the, in the OSR memes, in the old school memes, where people are just like, ooh, backstory for characters, ooh, backstory. Like, the thing that's important about a backstory is it speaks to the character's, uh, va- you know, goals and um, interests and potentially adversaries. That's the stuff that's important from backstory. You know, all the other dressing that goes into it of, like, where they went, where they lived and whatnot, it's like, none of that, it's important because it's it's the stuff that, that spices things up. But, I mean... If you think about just the the important story elements that might play in uh, for motivating that character or challenging that character or affecting that character's uh, how they feel, um, that's all you're getting from the backstory. You know, if, if a player gives me a, um, a big backstory about, like, you know, um, the uncle who betrayed them and their sisters and blah, 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 and some elaborate family kind of thing, the only thing I'm really going to look for out of that is... Um, like for myself, I might look for story elements that I might steal to, um, you know, for my, uh, for the overall campaign, but more interesting, I'm looking at, okay, where are, where's conflict in here? Uh, where is something that, that could motivate me here? And where's something that speaks to the beliefs of this character or the values? What do they need? What do they want? You know, and then that will help me figure out what that role player wants out of the, uh, out of the campaign. I don't need to know the whole bloody backstory we just need to touch on some key bits and then just let the rest of it happen at the table um the pressure points if you will if you know the pressure points of those role players you will be able to respond and and, um andrew in our in that game is definitely a role player and you know jeff really enjoys role playing in our night below campaign um but there's other players who just they're not in it for that they they don't need to you know they're, they're not really interested in necessarily the you know, where they're from, they're from somewhere else, they've come here, and they're in search of adventure, and they don't think it is, it's not really important to them that those, whatever's come before, continually show up and affect and have a persisting uh, role, you know, on the ongoing game. Um, That doesn't mean that they don't have a sense of who their characters are, what's important to them and whatnot, it's just that it isn't something, it isn't a pressure point that I'm actively hitting in the course of the campaign. It is, it is something that just works behind the scenes so you know you um if what you want to do is encourage that stuff that's great but i'm not sure that you know like if, if your characters if the player you're playing with is trying to get another shell and you want to give them a chance to you know to um to to indulge in something and and uh you know in something that they're not usually familiar with then that's great um uh, but Make sure the player actually wants that. You know, not everyone is in the game to to ham it up as a, uh, you know, as a character. Some people want to get loot for the character. Some characters want to see advancement. No one's all one thing. Like, there's no one who is all a role player or all a power gamer or whatever. Again, tons of ink has been spilled on this. But, you know, you don't need to force if someone... Like, I, I know for, um, for my son, like, he... Uh, when we play... Because, he, I mean, we've played all his life, but not, you know, in the frequency that I played when I was a kid. It, it's more something he enjoys doing with dad and with dad's friends than it is something that he would go and do with his buddies or something like that. And 
there are other players I play with, especially people who are DMs. I'm, I happily, you know, um, when they down an adversary, especially if it's the last adversary in a fight, I say, so what does that look like? You know, and I've realized that I'm, I've got, a lot of times I, if I keep doing that, I'm continually putting him on the spot and it's not something he really likes doing. Um, he struggles with it quite a bit sometimes. So instead what I do is I focus, I try to pick those moments to help him get out of, you know, get more into the role-playing part of it. Cause I know he does enjoy that. Um, but it's in things more specifically about his character because he's kind of trying to keep his for, for himself. He's keeping his character in his, uh, in his mind and he's not necessarily turning his mind out to what's going on in the, in the wider fiction. That's partly because he's, you know, he is a, uh, he's not had uh, any experience as a DM. He's not thinking of what, um, you know, what the wider game world is, is, is like what's going on in the, in the, uh, in the adventure, in the, in the story. So, uh, you know, and whereas like with the players in the night below campaign, they're all DMs, long-term DMs. I'd happily throw it to them because they like doing that stuff. But so that's the only caution I would say is that, you know, I think that you if there are people who are looking for opportunities to, uh, to indulge in that, uh, you know, occupying their character's, uh, mind and, and more interpreting how they would respond to it rather than deciding, um, you know, you just gotta, that, that's great. So you, you should definitely play to that because that's part of the reason those people are playing the game, but don't try and force everybody to do that because it's not the necessarily the reason uh, that everyone is there for. And they may have off days too, you know, like, uh, people are bringing, they're bringing all the rest of your, your, when it's your game night, you're bringing whatever else has been going on in, in, uh, your week to that game night. So, you know, you might, um, they may not have an off night and just not want to role play. So, and I guess the the last thing I'll say on this, uh, is it obviously depends on the game as well. If there are, if the game is all about role playing, like a Call of Cthulhu game is you're, role-playing, the reason there's there's barely any rules to that game is because most of it is spent chatting as other people. You know, it, you're, the, the game is about occupying your investigator's role and then going out and interacting with the world. You'll be rolling dice sometimes, but it's not the way that it works in like D&D where it's just, a, you know, uh, where like say combat works in D&D. Uh, story games even more so. But story games loop back in to having more game there. And I think it's easier to get the role-playing mat, you know, synced with the gameplay in those types of games than games that do not have express game mechanics for, um, for the, for the role-playing section. And I, I, you know, I, I don't think either one of those approaches is, is better or worse. Uh, I think that there's an advantage when you're gamifying the role-playing element of that, because that's fun and games are fun, but you're also gamifying it. You're also establishing what's optimal, what's suboptimal, what, um, you know, how you, you go through those things. And it isn't just the free form role-playing that you can get in old school games. You know, the, um, there is a freedom if you're structuring scenes, the way you think of like, um, a scene in a piece of drama where you're thinking more of like inter- introducing elements, like Call of Cthulhu does this really well with, um, their like, you know, information you can gather from different role-playing encounters, be that talking to someone at the library, digging through city archives, you know, tracking down or bamboozling, say like a, uh, hospital administrator to get access to stuff. Like all that stuff is, is great. And, uh, and, and is part of just playing through, you, you can definitely make skill roles related to all those things too, but there is a great deal of, um, of occupying that character, uh, around those, uh, those dice rolls. Whereas, uh, I think that, uh, a lot of story games are a little more intrusive on, as far as the rules are concerned. So, and that's not bad. That's not, you know, it's a matter of, uh, whether, whether it's the right flavoring, uh, for, for the experience that you're going for. And I, and for myself, like, uh, I, there's not a, uh, you know, one, way is, is best all the time. I, uh, I definitely like when I run cult, I love cult. Cult is one of my favorite games I've, I've run. Same thing with Vason, but cult in particular, I just had such a good time, uh, playing that game that is super role-play intensive, but it's also all linked up very heavily with the game mechanics and I love it, but it's not how I want my night below games to run, you know? So, which have a way looser, 
amount of role-playing and a wide variety of role-playing with players too. Um, actually, that one is a lot because it's all they're, they're all DMs. So everyone's a chatty Cathy. Everyone, uh, well, that's not true. Not everyone, not everyone, but most people want to kind of, you know, get involved with that. But even the ones who are quiet are still thinking about their characters. So, so anyway, I hope that that is helpful um, as far as the comments with respect to players arriving late. Um, the concern that you didn't ask about, about, uh, early uh, arrival or early departures and, uh, role-playing and uh, how to facilitate and encourage that. Okay. And I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So if you have, first off, I hope that this, um, answers, uh, this is for crumb, uh, AKA Jamie. Uh, I hope that this answers all of your mailbag questions. I apologize for not getting back to your, um, email uh, sooner. I hope that this makes up for it. And I hope that other folks uh, benefit from uh, the questions, the great questions that you asked as well, too. Anna also feels that they were good questions, weren't they? Yeah? No? All right. <laughs> um, as is always the case, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, or if you want to send in questions yourself in the mailbag, uh, feel free to. Uh, if you want to do a longer one, shoot me an email. My email address at, is uh, dungeonmusings at gmail.com. You can also uh, shoot me a... Um, I'm telling them, I'm telling them. Uh, you can also uh, find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings and you can shoot me uh, a voice message on Anchor if you are making use of Anchor as well. Um, 2021 at the time of recording, it's the uh, 12th. I already tried labeling some mail uh, the 14th. So I'm already trying to get through <laughs> the first couple of weeks of this damned year. But uh, I, I do hope that uh, the start of 2021 is treating you well, all things considered. Um, I hope that uh, this finds you healthy and safe and that you're weathering the current crisis as well as can be expected. And until we see you again, thank you for listening and happy gaming.